Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing be more loving. Amen. Friends, there are sermon notes in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along using them, they are there for you. You know what they say. If March comes in like a lion, it goes out like a lamb. Somehow it happens every year. A late February gush of sun makes us wonder if winter really is going to be shorter, at least this time around the sun. The warm weather comes as a tease, right? This year, the last few days of February, the daffodils were peeking out. I felt sorry for them. I knew what was coming. I felt bad for the children, too. The ones that got the, the mild weather recess for a day or two. I thought they could ditch their winter coats until next November. We think we're going to parade right into spring. Chest out, lungs open, t-shirts on. This had to have been the mood as they parade too. The ones that walked alongside Jesus from the Mount of Olives right down into the temple in Jerusalem. Chest out, lungs open, t-shirts on. But they were walking into a storm. A cosmic storm. At least we don't wave palms in the air. At least we have the sense to not be so brazen. They, of course, are walking into something much crueler than an extension of a winter season. They're walking their friend right down to the storm of the cross. N.T. Wright puts it so beautifully, the crowd went wild as they got nearer. This was the moment they'd been waiting for. All the songs came flooding back, and they were singing and chanting and cheering and laughing, and at last their dreams were coming true. But in the middle of it all, their leader wasn't singing. He was in tears. Yes, their dreams were indeed coming true, but not in the way that they imagined. He was not the king they expected, not like the monarchs of old who sat on their jeweled and ivory thrones dispensing their justice and wisdom. Nor was he the great warrior king that some had wanted. He didn't raise an army and ride to battle at its head. He was riding on a donkey, and he was weeping, weeping for the dream that had to die. Weeping for the sword that would pierce his supporters to their soul. Weeping for the kingdom that wasn't coming. As well as the kingdom that was. 
But they marched on, all of them, they marched on in that parade, this confident crunch of stone underneath their sandals, the layer of dust puffing up over their toes, marching in like a lion, like a pack of lions headed right into a storm. You know what they say, if March comes in like a lion, it goes out like a lamb. It's that way everywhere I've lived, anyway. One late February in Michigan, we enjoyed a beautiful spring day. The roads were clear, save for the mammoth potholes. And the sun was shining. That might have been the one sunny day in Michigan all winter long. Let's put it this way. Detroit is the second cloudiest city in the U.S., losing out only to Youngstown, Ohio, which isn't exactly a resort town. And in the first eight days of this year, the city of Grand Rapids experienced five minutes of sunshine. Eight days total. That year, though, on that last day of February, my son marched into school with a spring jacket on. The next day, March the 1st, was different. It was a lion. A thick blanket of snow fell from the sky and pushed us back from our parade into spring. The flakes were not that big, but they were steady. You know, that kind of snow. It was forecasted to be a 24-hour storm, and my wife, Ari, and I tried to stay ahead of the storm by shoveling our driveway throughout the day, you know, so that the accumulation would not get to be too much. Amidst the snowing and the shoveling, I was struck by something obvious. My neighbors and I were not out shoveling snow because we thought that we could keep it from snowing again. We were powerless to the storm. We shoveled the snow to clear a path for that moment. We cleared a path so that people could get in and out of the house right then in the midst of the storm. Isn't this so often the task of the people of faith? Very rarely do we have the ability to fix it for good. But we almost always have the capacity to help it for now. When Jesus sits with his disciples for the supper we will commemorate on Thursday, he gives them some of his last pieces of direction. Love one another, he tells them. I wonder if he raised his voice. Love one another. I wonder if he whispered it. Love one another. It really doesn't matter how he said it. He'd been showing them all along. Even that night, he took off his outer robe. He tied a towel around himself and he came to the table and he poured water into a basin, and he washed and wiped the disciples' feet. This is how you love one another. Their feet were dirty and cracked from that parade a few days earlier. 
the one where they marched. They wore broken sandals and walked those dusty streets. With some steps they smushed garbage, with others they kicked animal waste. When they came into a home, it was customary to wash. Some would even have a slave there to do it for them, but this supper was a clandestine event with no extras allowed, not even for this. And so Jesus showed them, this is how you love one another. And he washed their feet. He washed their feet now, knowing that they would soon leave this place. And when they did, they would slide their dirty sandals back on. They would make their way out into that filthy street again. That their feet wouldn't even be clean for that long. But he washed them anyway. This act of love, the kind of love that he wants us to see, it didn't fix it for good. Their feet would get dirty again, don't you see? But it did help it for now. There are so many powerful stories of people who heard the good news of Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and helped it for now. The Reverend Joaquin Alexandropoulos couldn't fix the Holocaust. But he was an Orthodox priest on a Greek isle in World War II now memorialized at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. The Nazis came one day, demanding that he provide them the next day with a list naming every Jew on the island. The next day, he handed them a list containing only one name, his own. The war went on. He didn't fix it for good. But he helped it for now. Mother Teresa could not fix leprosy, HIV, and tuberculosis in Calcutta, India. But she spent her life tending to the poor and the afflicted. Even more, when a nun traveled from New York to Calcutta to work with Mother Teresa, she said, Now I want you to go back to your neighborhood. Find the poor. Find your own Calcutta. And the nun recalls, I said, Mother, how do I do that? And she said, you look at the people, look into their eyes, and find Jesus. Those will be the poor. In other words, go home and help it for now. If we can't fix it for good, can't we be a people that finds a way to help it for now? I truly believe that one of the great indictments of our time on this planet will be that we watched our children face storm after storm of being attacked and killed in their schools. And that time and time again, we did nothing. We'll look at all of this from heaven and know that not a thing changed from one shooting to another. We did next to nothing to destigmatize mental illness and care for those suffering from it. We did next to nothing to address almost unthinkable recklessness around gun possession. We didn't fix it for good. No, we were too divided for that. But we did nothing. We could not even find a way, a way in the storm, to help it for now. 
Kenda Dean, a professor of mine at Princeton Theological Seminary, the finest theological seminary in the land, <laughs> asked, what would it look like if there was a community that had some kind of problem that they needed to solve, a storm they were about to face, and they said, we need to find the most creative people we can to help tackle this kind of problem. What we need are some Christians. She laughed. What, what, what if that was a sentence that might be said? What we need are some Christians to solve this problem. She asked, why is it that if you want to change the world, the church is the last place you want to go to work? Is this the place where good ideas, the ideas for those facing storms, go to die? Because the snow is falling. It's falling in a way that makes me doubt that's going to stop anytime soon. But we are Christians. We are people of the storm. We're the people that look the storm in the eye. We're Christians. Something to take pride in. We're the ones that find a way to walk like they did on that parade day, on that first Palm Sunday all those years ago. We're people that find a way to walk into the storm. We're the ones that bundle up warm, pick up a shovel, and go out to clear a path even while it is still snowing. With love in our hearts, we clear a path so that the hurting and the homeless and the shaken and the shoved can get in and out of the house. We help it for now. That's what we do. Sometimes that means collecting food for the hungry like we have this Lent. Sometimes it means providing education for the poor. Sometimes that means offering friendship for the lonely. Sometimes it means that we simply sit together and lament the damage that the storm has caused. Lament that the storm is what it is. And there doesn't seem like there's much we can do to help it for now. And if that's all we have, if all we have is lament, then amidst that lament, let us remember what they say. Let us remember what they say. If March comes in like a lion... It goes out like a lamb. And then let us here at the end of March and beginning of April, with the parade behind us, and the table and the cross and the empty tomb in front of us, let us be Christians, the ones that remind the storm a lamb is coming and he's going to fix it for good. Amen.